In the holy name of Jesus, amen. amen. So there it is. It is the beginning of Advent, Advent 2, and the beginning of St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. And though it is the beginning, St. Mark's got no Christmas story. In St. Mark there are no angels or shepherds or manger or even little baby Jesus. And why not? According to St. Mark, the Christmas story does not begin with Bethlehem, but with the wilderness. This actually makes sense, strictly speaking. After Adam, everything outside Eden is wilderness. And so the wilderness becomes the place of demons and wild beasts, of terror and temptation. Jesus takes his first pain as Messiah in the wilderness. The wilderness becomes the place of scapegoats, sin, and death. The high priest lays his hands on the sacrifice and with that, he imparts the sins of the people to the animal. And then he pushes the scapegoat out of the camp, heavy with sin, into a dry and wicked place. The wilderness becomes the place where prophets go to die. When Israel turned her back on Yahweh and worshipped Baal, Elijah lies down under a broom tree in the wilderness and begs the Lord to let him go. The wilderness is the place where God's people are pressed beyond their limits and left feeling the way many of you feel today, hurt or heavy with sin, or alone and angry and afraid, or hopeless, and sometimes ready to die. Except, except if the Christmas story really does begin in the wilderness, then you really are never alone. If the Christmas story begins in the wilderness, then Jesus is already there. And as you learned last week, if Jesus is already there, then Jesus brings his gifts for your good, and he is busy working things out for you. Jesus Christ never leaves his church without the sacramental gifts to sustain her. In fact, it turns out that Jesus does some of his best work in the wilderness. Moses got ready to be Moses in the wilderness. After he had studied for 40 years as Pharaoh's son in Pharaoh's court, and then for another 40 years in exile in the wilderness. It was then at the age of 80 that Moses came back to save his people Israel. And Israel got ready to be Israel in the wilderness. It was there that this group of Hebrews, whose master said, you have no land, you have no God, you have no soul, you are not people. It was there that they became the people of the Lord, the children of Israel. 
Jesus got ready to be the Christ in the wilderness. Baptized by his Father, anointed by the Spirit, Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He was tempted to give up his godness, his sonness, his Christness, his messianess, to break with the Father and the Spirit and to trade his baptism for an easy, temporary alliance with the devil. And John the baptizer got ready to be John the baptizer in the wilderness. And John was some of Jesus' best work. The baptizer dresses like Elijah, he acts like Moses, and he lives like Israel, at least Israel on a good day. Faithful and driven and blunt and brisk. The baptizer has a sacramental voice that mixed with the elements of scrub and sand makes mountains low and valleys high and straight things from crooked things and sinners whole and dead folks alive. His sacramental voice makes wrongs right. His is the voice, as St. Isaiah says, of one speaking tenderly to Jerusalem. Though he speaks tenderly, John finds that it is rarely pleasant work because the wilderness is a challenging and bitter place. And in the end, he gets his head chopped off for his trouble. But it is nevertheless work that works. So all of this ends up being pretty good news, actually, especially if you've come again this morning and you are hurt or heavy with sin or alone and angry and afraid or hopeless or even ready to die. So frustrated because on your own you cannot find your way home to Eden. John the baptizer has one more thing in common with Adam and Moses and Israel and Elijah and Christ. It is all about the water. In the scriptures, coming to the water and wading in the water and lying in the water and coming through the water up on the other side is the way that the Lord brings his folk from the wilderness to the promised land, into the new Eden. In scripture, water often works a little resurrection. And that, of course, is true for all of you this morning, too. It is your baptism that puts you in this place, in this Israel, the promised land known as the church, a foretaste of the new Eden in heaven. It is this place, this place in the midst of that wilderness out there, where you are always loved and you are never alone. That is the promise of Advent. Even in good years, Advent is a double time.
It is your time in the wilderness, and this year especially, it seems, it is your time of heavy struggle and temptation. As individuals and, as you've heard, as a community. But Advent is also your time of profit, of promise, and the prophet's voice still rings out. The baptizer's sacramental voice, mixing now not with just scrub and sand, but with eardrums and wet skin and damaged souls as he baptizes with a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, a baptism which Jesus himself said it dropped down from heaven. A baptism toward Christ and his cross and ultimately a baptism that pushes us into a promised place. And so you see, it is not that St. Mark has a short gospel. It is instead that St. Mark has a long view. Finally then, it is time to ask St. Peter's question. Knowing all of that, what sort of persons ought you to be in holiness and righteousness? Someday, if you come to your senses soon enough, you will look back at your life and say, what was that? Was that worth it? All of that struggle, all of that pain, all of that trouble in the wilderness, was that worth it? And in the end, the only thing that is really worth anything is Eden, is Israel, is promised land, or as you know it, is church. It is that place beyond the water, born of a sacramental word and a brooding spirit, nourished by the body and blood of Christ at the altar. This is the one and only place in all the world in all the wilderness, where you are never alone and never unloved. This is the one and only hopeful place in all the world, a place of repentance and forgiveness and wholeness and community. Like Adam and Moses and Israel and Elijah and John the baptizer before you, you would do best to take advantage of Advent to rearrange your life. Given the troubles in our world, the Lord certainly must have your attention by now. The pain has been sufficient. And in one sense, it might be easier now. Most of you have far less stuff and far less status to rearrange. It makes it easier now to focus on what really matters. And the very worst thing that could happen to you, the very worst, is if you miss this opportunity and you don't rearrange, and so you settle for getting just a little bit better for mere survival instead of having a real resurrection.
and you live the rest of your life with a permanent limp instead of a total cleansing. Advent is a promise. And a promise is always a chance to be new, to be turned, to be forgiven, to be rearranged. And beyond that, to be of some good use to our Lord who made you, just like Adam and Moses and Israel and Elijah and John the baptizer and the saints of the church who have gone before us. Have that, have all of that, and you will find that your advent is not for nothing. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.